It's the NPR Politics Podcast. So we didn't expect to do another episode today before our weekly roundup, but this morning, President Obama had other ideas. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. That's President Barack Obama in the Rose Garden at the White House today, announcing Merrick Garland is his nominee to replace Antonin Scalia, who died last month. We're going to talk a bit now about how this might play out in an election year when Republicans in the Senate have vowed not to confirm anyone the president nominates. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter here at NPR. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Carrie Johnson. I'm the justice correspondent. Slow week, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's start by taking a listen to President Obama. This was earlier today in the Rose Garden when he made the big announcement. I simply ask Republicans in the Senate to give him a fair hearing. And then an up or down vote. If you don't, then it will not only be an abdication of the Senate's constitutional duty, it will indicate a process for nominating and confirming judges that is beyond repair. It will mean everything is subject to the most partisan of politics. Everything. It will provoke an endless cycle of more tit-for-tat and make it increasingly possible for any president Democrat or Republican, to carry out their constitutional function. The reputation of the Supreme Court will inevitably suffer. Faith in our justice system will inevitably suffer. And our democracy will ultimately suffer as well. Susan, this is kind of a, a, a gauntlet throwdown to Senate Republicans, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, I would say Republicans probably threw down the gauntlet when they declared just hours after Scalia died that they would not even consider any part of this process. No hearings, no votes, no meetings, no nothing. So so this is picking up the gauntlet and throwing it back yeah, at them. Yeah, it's been thrown back at them. The gauntlet is being thrown all around. <laughs> um, Republicans had made this decision because they wanted to make sure it was not about a particular nominee. They got out in front. They said, we don't want to, they don't want to argue about the nomination. They want to argue about the process. And that in the heat of a presidential election year, that they are arguing that there should be a vote and let the American voters decide who the next president should be, have a say in this, is what they're saying, uh, and that the decision should go to the next president. Now, the question is, is that a viable political strategy? Mitch McConnell is trying very hard to keep Republicans in control of the Senate. There are at least seven Republicans, and there could be many more, depending on the top of the ticket, who are in very competitive races. And Democrats in the Senate think that they can make the Republican decision to block this nominee part of a larger argument about why they should be in control of the Senate and not Republicans. So we're going to get back to the politics in a bit, but let's let's talk about the man himself, Merrick Garland. He's currently the chief judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Carrie, these courts always have such long names. They do, (laughs) but it's important, Scott, because it's considered to be, apart from the Supreme Court, maybe the second most important court in the country. This guy is well known in the Washington legal community and in the law enforcement community. He's been on the federal appeals court since 1997. But even before then, he played huge roles in some of the biggest Justice Department investigations in the Clinton years, the Unabomber, the Oklahoma City bombing, the Atlanta Olympics bombing. He supervised those cases. He talks about them as maybe being the formative experiences of his life in the 
law, his uh, sense of justice, his sense of fairness, his sense of responsibility to victims. He carried around um, mementos of the deaths of those Oklahoma City victims with him as he led that prosecution of Timothy McVeigh. And uh, President Obama said that uh, he, he's had two chances to appoint Supreme Court uh justices already. And he said that both times he heard from Democrats and Republicans that that he should consider Garland. Absolutely. Merrick Garland has been on the shortlist throughout this administration. The the thinking was, though, that at age 63, Scott, he was getting a little bit long in the tooth for many advocates on the left to appoint to the Supreme Court because conservatives have been very strategic about this in the past. They have nominated young judges who can serve 30 years or more on the court. Justice Scalia, of course, who died last month, conservative, served nearly 30 years on the bench. That does not appear to be like for Merrick Garland, although today he talked with um, great joy and great emotion about his mom watching at home uh, this process in the Rose Garden. I know that my mother is watching this on television and crying her eyes out. So are my sisters who have supported me in every step I have ever taken. I only wish that my father were here to see this today. I also wish that we hadn't taught my older daughter to be so adventurous that she would be hiking in the mountains out of cell service range (laughs) when the president called. It was the sense of responsibility to serve the community, instilled by my parents, that led me to leave my law firm to become a line prosecutor in 1989. But, uh, Susan, I feel like a lot of us were kind of surprised by this pick because of how political this process has gotten, that we expected President Obama to to bluntly not go with with an an older white man for this pick. Yeah, I think there was some surprise in that the shortlist, he was the only white male on the shortlist. And there was some thinking, particularly among um, liberal activists and liberal senators, that maybe you would want to select a more uh, diverse nominee. President Obama has said publicly that he's always made diversity on the court uh, a priority and not only in his Supreme Court nominations, but his lower court nominations. But he did say that the number one decision in this is finding someone with an unimpeachable character and unimpeachable credentials. And Merrick Garland seems to fit those two there. He was confirmed by the Senate in 1997. Seven of the Republicans who voted for him then are still serving in the Senate, although all seven of those Republican senators now say they do not believe that this vote should happen until after the election. Importantly, though, Sue, uh, people like Orrin Hatch, who has been a huge supporter of uh, Merrick Garland over the years, Orrin Hatch, a Republican from Utah, said as recently as a few days ago that uh, Garland was a great pick. Today, though, he's now saying it's not about the nominee. And this is what's going to be hard for Republicans is that they don't want to make this an argument about whether Merrick Garland is qualified or not. They want to make it an argument about letting voters have a say in the process. Where this is going to be tough, and this really struck me, was in the statement that was put out by the Senate Republican campaign operation while Obama was speaking. This operation oversees all of the Senate races. And they said briefly, uh, Garland is a liberal, an activist, and one of Obama's most reliable allies in the judicial system. They went on, Garland has been identified as an ideologue who would loyally stand with the court's liberal wing and bolster the radical Obama agenda. Well, lawyers in town would tend to disagree with that assessment. Lawyers from both parties, I'd point out two very conservative Republicans, Jonathan Adler and Ed Whalen, who have served in prior Republican administrations and follow nominations carefully, today have put out blog posts saying Merrick Garland is the best the Republicans could ever 
think of doing. And the only objection they have is that they don't want President Obama to get a third Supreme Court pick. So these discussions of his record, which is long now, right? He served 19 years on this federal appeals court. So there is a lot to review about the toughest thing you can say about his record is that because of his background as a prosecutor, he's extremely law and order and perhaps less favorable to criminal defendants than uh, Justice Kagan or Justice Sotomayor. Uh, But some of the Republican opposition groups outside the Senate have seemed to indicate they're going to focus on his record on guns, something that really could help mobilize the Republican voting base, I think. So so President Obama makes the nomination in the Rose Garden, and now the focus is on the Senate. Obama said that tomorrow Garland is going to go to the Senate, start taking meetings. Whether or not people want to meet with him, we'll see. But um, one thing that we've heard about on the Senate discussion about this is something called the Biden rule. Right. So this is, I think, the first argument where we hear from Republicans about why they can block this nomination in an election year. And what they cite is a 1992 floor speech by then Senator Joe Biden, now obviously the vice president, who at the time was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which plays a very decisive role in the nomination process. And in his comments, he defended the decision theoretically, that Democrats could make to block a nomination in an election year in a polarized environment. And this has become what Republicans are using as their standard. They're calling it the Biden rule. We should say that the White House and Senate Democrats have said, look, Joe Biden was talking about a hypothetical. He was talking about a partisan nominee. And let's listen to what Mitch McConnell said on the Senate floor today in that regard. Let me remind colleagues of what Vice President Biden said when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee here in the Senate. Here's what he said. It would be our pragmatic conclusion that once the political season is underway, and it is, action on a Supreme Court nomination must be put off until after the election campaign is over. That is what is fair to the nominee, he said, and is central to the process. Otherwise, it seems to me, Chairman Biden went on, we will be in deep trouble as an institution. Others may fret, he said, that this approach would leave the court with only eight members for some time. But as I see it, Chairman Biden said, the cost of such a result, the need to re-argue three or four cases that will divide the justice four to four, are quite minor. So McConnell and other Senate Republicans have been making this argument for a while now. I thought President Obama had a pretty powerful argument today, laying out all of Merrick Garland's credentials and then basically daring Republicans to to dismiss him out of hand. What do you think happens next here? Well, the question is, and the timing of this is interesting because we are going into a two-week break where senators are going home. And so it'll test one thing. It'll test Democrats' PR ability to make this an issue. And it'll test how much of an issue it is with voters and if this is something that's really resonating. You know, I've talked to Senate campaign strategists for Senate races who don't see this as a risky move for Republicans, who say, come November, you know, the people that are motivated to vote on the Supreme Court are already there, tends to be base voters, Republican, conservatives and liberals alike, and that those swing independent everyday voters who show up at the polls, the Supreme Court isn't in their short list of things that motivates them. So they see it as a low risk move 
politically. Uh, Democrats would counter that this is part of a larger narrative about which party do you trust to govern? This is a governing argument. Who do you want to give the wheels of the government to? And that abdicating a duty like this is part of a larger argument they are making against Republicans. And the, the mantra and the slogan that Senate Democrats are using in this is do your job. The phrase you're going to hear a lot as this debate unfolds over the coming months. I was talking this week, Sue, with a, a guy connected to some of the Democratic interest groups who have been rallying in advance of this nomination. And while Democratic interest groups uh, interested in law enforcement and judges have a fractious history dating back 30 years, uh, I'm hearing that they are really maintaining a unified front here. And they expect to do so moving forward for the weeks and months ahead. The White House has already produced a rather slick three-minute documentary featuring Merrick Garland himself with photos of his wedding and his children. I'm married to Lynn Rosenman uh, Garland. Uh, we met uh, at a rehearsal dinner. Somebody managed to put us uh, sitting next to each other. Uh, we always thought it was an accident, but maybe it wasn't. Uh, she is the most honest, straightforward uh, person you can imagine. We have two spectacular daughters. And there will be some effort to humanize him and introduce him to the American people. Because as we've heard from Senator Orrin Hatch and others, people who happen to have met Merrick Garland have a very hard time disliking him up close. Which is why I also think you see that they don't want to be talking about Merrick Garland. They do not want this to be an argument about him and his credentials. They're going to try and make it about process. The question is, do people care about process? And I guess the other question that I have here is that um, obviously a presidential election is going to play out. Uh, Carrie, Susan, do you see anything happening in the presidential election, even after the presidential election, that could change this? Do you see a scenario where Senate Republicans do nothing and nothing and nothing, but then Hillary Clinton wins the White House and they come back in a lame duck session and say, you know what, we're going to vote on this uh, centrist as opposed to whatever Clinton sends us? It is certainly possible that action could take place in a lame duck session, but so much of that will be decided by what happens in the election. And there is a thinking, an argument that if Democrats win the White House, if it is a Hillary Clinton or a Bernie Sanders, that Senate Republicans might suddenly decide to confirm Merrick Garland, who is seen as a more moderate centrist judge versus risking a more liberal president getting a more liberal judge. If it is a Republican president who wins the White House, I think it's fair to say that Republicans will maintain their block and say the Republican president should get to decide. And if Republicans lose the Senate, they may be inclined to pass Merrick Garland. So there's too many wild card factors in a lame duck that we can't be too definitive right now. And, you know, as someone who's been in Washington now for 19 years, 19 years longer than I expected to, I've learned to look for little clues and hints as Mm -hmm. to how things are going to go. Some of those clues and hints are whether the Senate Judiciary Committee and Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley, who leads the committee, actually makes a request to the Justice Department for Merrick Garland's old records at the Justice Department. There are going to be things that are going to be happening or not happening with respect to his long 25-year, 30-year career that are required in order to get this process moving, whether it gets moving now or in October or November or January. Okay, so we're going to talk a lot more about this, I'm sure, in our weekly roundup. We'll have that for you a day early, so look for that tomorrow evening. As always, you can catch more of our political coverage at nprpolitics.org or on your local public radio station. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Carrie Johnson, justice correspondent. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.